0: It is Tuesday, March 29th, and this is People Every Day. Hey everyone, it's me, Janine Rubinstein. I think my brain has finally started to recover from processing everything we talked about in yesterday's show. But of course, there's plenty more to wade into today and some non-Oscars news that's bubbling up to the surface. So let's start there. Early this morning, Queen Elizabeth was in attendance at Westminster Abbey for the memorial service of her late husband, Prince Philip. This marks the first time the monarch has been at a public event outside the royal residence since last October. The queen was accompanied by Prince Andrew just weeks after he settled his sexual assault lawsuit. Royal commentator Robert Jobson noted that Andrew joining her was a topic of contention among senior members of the family, but she insisted. I mean... It's long rumored that he is her favorite. Now, the service of Thanksgiving for her husband, who died last April at the age of 99, included several poignant tributes to the late royal, including musical selections chosen by the prince himself and floral arrangements inspired by Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip's wedding day. The queen and other members of the family wore dark green as a nod to official livery. I'm just glad she's doing well enough to be out and about and can finally have some closure on her husband's passing after more than, you know, 70 years of marriage. The Baldwins have some happy news to report. Uh, News broke this afternoon that Alec and Eladia Baldwin are expecting their seventh child together. Eladia and Alec shared with people in an exclusive statement, one of the most beautiful things my children have experienced with a big family is how the heart can grow with every new sibling. And they said that our capacity to love continues to expand and we can't wait to embrace our new little one this fall. Eladia, who's 38, shared the news on Instagram earlier with a video of herself and Alec, who's 63, playing with their six children, who range from 13 months to eight years old. Alec is also the father to 26-year-old daughter Ireland Baldwin, whom he shares with ex-wife Kim Basinger. Now, this news comes after a very tumultuous year for the family, namely Alec, who is still embroiled in multiple lawsuits surrounding the shooting death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins that he was involved in on set of his film, Rest. Moving on, in documents obtained by people on Monday, Alvina Anderson, the wife of Blackish and law and order actor Anthony Anderson, has filed for divorce, citing irreconcilable differences. The high school sweethearts were married in September of 1999 and share two adult children, Nathan who's 22 and Kira who's 26. Alvina filed for divorce previously in 2015, but in January 2017 she rescinded her divorce petition, and as e-news reported, at the time, the two appeared to be reconciled. We'll have to wait and see if this split sticks, or there's another reconciliation in the cards for the star. It's been a couple days since Will Smith took to the Oscar stage and slapped Chris Rock across the face following a joke Chris made about Will's wife, Jada Pinkett-Smith. The world still can't stop talking about this shocking moment, and here at People, we even released our cover story a day early. It's all about what went down at the Dolby Theater, what happened afterwards, and how this night will be remembered. And a heated debate over it all is still trending online, so joining me now to discuss the aftermath is political and cultural commentator the amazing Mark Lamont Hill. Mark is a professor of media studies at temple and his new book seen and unseen technology social media and the fight for racial justice will be out may 3rd so hey mark so great to have you back on the show
2: It's good to be here.
0: Well, last night came Will's apology. He took to Instagram yesterday and posted a lengthy statement, writing in part, violence in all of its forms is poisonous and destructive. My behavior at last night's Academy Awards was unacceptable and inexcusable. Jokes at my expense are a part of the job. But a joke about Jada's medical condition was too much for me to bear, and I reacted emotionally. I would like to publicly apologize to you, Chris, I was out of line, and I was wrong. And then the the real King Richard, Richard Williams, also spoke out saying, we don't condone anyone hitting anyone else unless it is in self-defense. And then Will's mom, Carolyn Bright, said that's the first time I've ever seen him go off. And then <laughs> this morning, Jada posted a quote on Instagram that said, this is a season for healing, and I'm here for it. And a source told us in this week's issue that they feel the slap heard around the world is what he will be remembered for. I know that was a lot, but first off, do you think that's true? And secondly, what do you make of the apology?
2: Careers are long in this business, so there's always the possibility that narratives can change. There's always the possibility that something that seems like the biggest thing ever can no longer be the biggest thing ever. But it's hard for me to imagine that when we talk about Will Smith's career, that the slap won't be a part of the conversation. In the same way, unfortunately, that the conversation about Nipplegate in the Super Bowl is part of the big picture conversation about Janet Jackson. It's not the only story we tell, but it's part of the story. And I think that this will certainly be part of Will Smith's story. As far as the apology goes, eh, he apologized, he denounced violence, great. He says, I know that I was wrong, but then he says, I can take a joke, but I lost it when he came after my wife and her medical condition. Some could read that as still kind of excusing his behavior. But for me, it was an opportunity to humanize him and say, look, I get why he did it. He knows he was wrong, but at least we can get into his mindset. Um, And he also talked about the need for growth, the need to, to get better, to do better which I think is important. You know, he's not a finished product as much as the polished image of celebrities would allow us to think. He, like everybody else, has work to do.
0: It's been 48 hours about, and and people are still reeling about what happened. And late-night talk show hosts are no exception. Here is some of what Stephen Colbert said last night in his monologue.
1: Will Smith was offended by the joke and wanted to stand up for his wife. Fine. Challenge Chris to a duel. Or if you really want to hurt a comedian, don't laugh.
0: James Corden praised how Chris handled the situation.
1: I applaud Chris Rock
0: for recovering, keeping the show moving. Uh, It was
2: an incredibly uh, dignified uh, response. I'll say this, Will Smith can't take a joke. Chris Rock can take a punch.
0: And Jimmy Kimmel said
2: this. Chris Rock, um, he handled it about as well as you could possibly handle being slapped on stage at the Oscars. He didn't even flinch. When Will slapped him, I would have been crying so hard. Have... So where were you, Mark? And 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 what were your initial, initial thoughts? Well, so here's the crazy thing. I wasn't even watching the Oscars at the moment. I was sitting on my couch, but I, I was looking at social media. I saw my timeline fill up on Twitter with people saying that Will Smith just slapped Chris Rock. I thought it was a joke that I didn't get. Then I saw that there was a link to video, and I was like, oh, this must be a bit. This must be a skit, because there's no, there's absolutely no way that that happened for all the reasons, right? One, Will Smith, just don't be slapping people in public. I couldn't imagine why those two people would be having any kind of issue with each other. And third, it was the Oscars. You know, people don't really get in in physical altercations at the Oscars. Then I watched it. I went and found a video. I saw the video on Twitter. Then I went to YouTube. Then I got the unedited video with the cursing in it. And that's when I was like, okay, this is real. And this is actually deep because you know, the slap is one thing, but the way will walked back to a seat, you could still kind of think it was a joke or that something was up with it. But then when I heard the way he yelled and I heard that rage in his voice, you know, I was and I was like, oh, I, I know that voice. I know that sound. I know what that was about.
0: I was scrolling on Twitter yesterday to see how, you know, the Internet is still reacting to all of this. And it seems people are divided, even black Twitter, like some people are Team Will or, or rather you know, team protect Black women at all costs, saying how great it is that he stood up for his wife in the face of Chris's cruel and, I guess, continued ridicule. And other people are saying that, you know, assaulting someone at the Oscars in front of the world and, you know, on a night where so much Black excellence and diversity was on display has just completely tarnished his legacy.
2: You know, lots of things can be true at the same time. And and I don't think he's... I mean, he certainly hasn't enhanced his legacy with this. But again, people... I have to look at the full arc of someone's career, and we also have to not be prisoner to the moment. Will we talk about this for another week or two? Yeah. Will this be a joke in next year's Oscars? Yeah. Will this be a pop culture reference forever? Will it be a meme for the foreseeable future? Absolutely. But I don't know if the final chapter or final story on Will's career or legacy can be written. That said, I land in all of those places. Yes, we should protect Black women at all costs. What Chris Rock did was wrong. The joke was wrong. Even if he didn't know about her medical condition, it's still not okay. Some people say, well, why should they be immune from jokes? Everybody gets them jokes. Everybody gets these jokes as a celebrity. But we don't have to make jokes that demean Black women's skin color, their hair, their bodies, and all the other things that racism has taught us to do for centuries. We can just not do that. There's all kinds of jokes you can make other than that one. So many jokes. You know, just not that one, right? Even if he didn't know that. I mean, this is the man that made... Uh, good hair. He made a whole documentary about black women and hair. So to me, he completely understands the nuances of black women and their relationship to their hair, even if he didn't know about the alopecia situation. That said, there's also room for criticism of Will. Again, Will could have screamed from the crowd, keep my wife's effing name out your mouth twice, been furious. He would have shut it down the exact same way, and nobody would be talking about it right now. We'd just be applauding him for defending his wife, and we wouldn't be tripping. But when he went up there and put hands on him, On a national uh, stage, that changes the game. Also, we have to ask ourselves, is Will Smith actually smacking Chris Rock in that moment? Or is he smacking you know, all the people who have called him soft? Is he smacking his dad who, in his own biography, he said he couldn't protect his mother from? Is he smacking August Alsina? Is he smacking the people that called the Fresh Prince soft? Is he smacking the people who said he can't control his own marriage? Is he smacking the people that be making them Tupac jokes? Is he smacking Tupac? I mean, we could get deep in psycho and analytic with it, you know what I'm saying? But at the core, but when you start getting into that zone, you start asking yourself, was he standing up and protecting his wife, or was he protecting his own sense of masculinity, his own ego? And that's something that all men struggle with. This ain't a Will Smith issue. That's a me issue. That's an every every dude issue. So I- I'm saying it, it's, it's complicated. And we also have to challenge those people who say, well, you know, you can't joke like that. I agree you shouldn't joke like that. But some of those same people mad about this joke were okay with Dave Chappelle dragging trans people. For, for three comedy specials. And they said, these are just jokes. They need to get over it. It's just humor. It's just comedy. But now they want Will Smith to put hands on somebody for his jokes. So, and I, you know what I'm saying?
0: I, I had the same conversation with my husband. You, spot on. Yeah, it is, it is so complicated. I'm wondering now, if you're Will, what do you do next? And the same question, if you're Chris, what do you do next?
2: If I'm Will, I do some reflection. I, I do whatever healing work he's been doing. And if he's not doing it I'm assuming he is. If he's not, then he should start, you know, therapy, meditation, all the things that allow him to figure out what got him into that space. So I think this might be a time to just lay low for a bit and, and again, just spend time and reflect. And then if I'm Chris Rock, I apologize to Jada Pinkett for the comment. Again, whether he knew about her alopecia or not, I think you apologize. You know, he has a right to forgive Willie, has a right to not forgive Will. That's up to him but he doesn't owe anybody that. But then I think Chris Rock just kind of moves on with his life and his career. But at the same time, you know, I want him to do some internal work too and say, all right, this is jokes. I can, I can laugh it off. I can clown it. I can make fun of it. I can make money from it. I can, you know, I can do all those things. But he also was humiliated in front of the world.
0: It has truly been a wild ride and one that is still going. And I just appreciate you so much for being here to break this all down with me. Thank you. Thank you for stopping by. My pleasure. All right, this past Saturday, Phil Collins and his Genesis bandmates performed their final concert ever at London's O2 Arena. The legendary rocker is known for classics like In the Air Tonight and You Can't Hurry Love, and through the decades put on incredible live performances. Two of his most well-known performances were in 1985, great year, I must say, (laughs) and they happened on the same day. As part of Live Aid, Collins famously performed at Wembley Stadium in London before hopping on the Concord to play at a Live Aid concert in Philadelphia. And now for your Tuesday trivia. During his mad dash across the Atlantic from the U.K. to the U.S. on that day in 1985, Phil Collins ran into another singer on his Concord flight and convinced them to sing at the Live Aid show that day. This singer ended up singing in the show's famous finale, We Are the World. So who was this famous singer? Find out after the break. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are back with our Tuesday trivia answer. Uh, do you know who Phil Collins bumped into on his famous Concorde flight in 1985 and convinced them to sing at Philadelphia's Live Aid concert? It was none other than Cher. Collins shared his Cher story on Access Hollywood a few years back.
2: And so she came up to me on the plane and said, what's going on? So I said, it's a concert, you know, two concerts. I mean, if you haven't read about it, I I don't know where you've been. Um, She said, could you get me on it? So I said, "I, I don't need to get me on it. Just just turn up, you know. Anyway, she went to the bar and came back looking like Cher!
0: Cher sang on the star-studded stage for the We Are the World finale next to the incredible talents of Lionel Richie, Harry Belafonte, Paul Simon, Tina Turner, and dozens more. But now, the Cher wrangler and longtime Genesis drummer is hanging up his sticks. Collins' daughter and star of Emily in Paris, Lily Collins, was in attendance at the last Genesis concert this past weekend. The actress posted a tribute to her father on Instagram with a caption that read... To have witnessed this last show was truly the memory of a lifetime and an event I shall hold in my heart forever. Endlessly grateful doesn't begin to do it justice. And she continued, so much love was left on that O2 stage and an even bigger amount shared between an audience who didn't want it to end. Well, thank you, Phil, for all of the classics, and we wish you well in retirement. Yesterday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed into Florida law the Parental Rights in Education Bill, which is known to many as the Don't Say Gay Bill. The controversy around this bill surrounds the fact that it bans classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade and states that any instruction on these topics just cannot occur. It also allows parents to sue the teachers if they do allow these topics to be broached in the classroom. For months, the conversation around this bill has involved students, corporation walkouts, LGBTQIA plus supporters and allies protesting and and celebrity outcries like the ones we saw this weekend and at the Oscars. So here with me today to break this all down is People writer, Virginia Shamley. Hello, Virginia.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Well, let's start with the basics. For those who do not
1: know, what is The Don't Say Gay Bill. The technical name is the Parental Rights and Education Bill, as you mentioned. It was filed back in January. The bill does a number of things, most notably and most controversially. It would ban public school teachers in Florida from, quote, unquote, encouraging classroom instruction about sexual orientation Or gender identity in kindergarten through third grade. But it has a number of other provisions in it as well. It gives parents an option to sue a school district if the policy is violated. So if a parent were to bring a concern to the school district and that district doesn't resolve the problem on its own, the parent could then sue the school district. And there's also a controversial provision in the bill that stipulates that school districts cannot withhold information from parents regarding their child's mental, emotional, or physical health. So this is a provision that critics say could impact typically confidential conversations between children who are maybe struggling with their sexual or gender identity and their counselors. So This might force a counselor or a school district to communicate those discussions to a parent. That parent might not necessarily be accepting, or that could cause some harm harm to the child in some way.
0: What has been their kind of rallying cry to to get it through to where it's now law. What has been the crux of of their issue?
1: It's kind of interesting the way that the supporters of the bill discuss it. Their rhetoric surrounding the bill has really kind of evolved and it sort of changes based on who they're speaking to. So the bill's Senate sponsor, he's a state senator from Ocala. His name is Dennis Baxley. He's made some sort of controversial statements about the bill. He said early on that he wanted the bill to address what he called social engineering that could result in more children identifying as gay or transgender. You know, there's no proof that there's any sort of social engineering happening. Governor Ron DeSantis has specifically made comments like he doesn't want to see transgenderism injected into kindergarten. But more, more recently, as the criticism has kind of crescendoed, supporters of the bill say, you know, critics have it all wrong, that the This bill is really about protecting uh, the rights of parents and that they just want to prevent children from being sexualized. That's that's actually a word Governor DeSantis has used to talk about the bill. Of course, the bill doesn't actually address instruction on sexual activity. It specifically prohibits instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity. And it also applies to these very, very early grades where sex education is not even taught. The critics are, are saying this is a solution to a problem that doesn't exist
0: corporations who support this bill and fund it even you know if indirectly have raised a lot of questions and issues on you know, just where these companies are putting their money and not sharing in, I guess, the culture necessarily with their employees. So so what do you feel is the responsibility of these companies?
1: Disney is, is one of those big corporations that has a, a huge presence in Florida. Obviously, a lot of employees in Florida, many of whom identify, identify as LGBTQ. And so the company itself was criticized pretty early on for not speaking out against the bill in the first place and since then they've they've really spoken out that came after employee walkouts and and certainly a lot of pressure on them but now disney is really pushing back on it they released a statement monday the day that the bill was signed into law and they said that it should have never passed uh, and it should never have been signed into law and they said moving forward that they will support the organizations working to repeal it in the courts disney has shareholders that they have to answer to. They have employees that they have to answer to. So even though this is just a bill that's in, in Florida, they, they feel that they really have a responsibility to speak out on it and sort of make their stance known, even though maybe it took them a little while to do that.
0: And Virginia, just to be clear in terms of the finances, Disney, you know, came under fire from employees for making political donations to certain Florida politicians, including Governor Ron DeSantis. So not directly to this bill, correct?
1: Campaign donations show that in 2020, Disney donated nearly $5 million to to Florida candidates, and that included, I think, $50,000 directly to Ron DeSantis and nearly a million dollars to the Republican Party of Florida. Obviously, that was years before this bill was an issue and, and was under discussion, but they have said that they want to ensure their advocacy better reflects their values, which certainly seems to mean that they will probably not be making political donations like that for at least for the time being.
0: Let's talk about celebrities and and their stance that they have taken against this bill, kind of, you know, just by and large. We saw it with Kate McKinnon on SNL, then support on social media with celebs blasting just the word gay in all of their messaging. And, And this past weekend at the Oscars, Wanda Sykes and Jessica Chastain just not hiding from the issue. So do you think this kind of support makes a change or gets people to listen?
1: This is a, a state bill that I think normally or otherwise wouldn't have had so much attention. And and because we've seen people like Shawn Mendez urging his fans to call their senators about it. I will say it's kind of interesting, though, because um, the proponents of the bill are, are kind of using that, I mean, I I think that is working in their favor because they're framing this as as a culture issue. And Governor DeSantis has really latched on to the Disney fight, for instance, and embraced that as, you know, oh, this is sort of a David versus Goliath kind of fight.
0: Well, where are we now? What are the people of Florida and the LGBTQIA plus communities and organizations around the world doing right now to, to try and repeal it?
1: There are are such a range of critics of this bill, and a lot of those are activist organizations. And the Walt Disney Company, they said that they will sort of lend their support to the organizations working to repeal the bill. So certainly some of those smaller activist groups might have sort of support that they need in that fight. The White House has also denounced the bill. Joe Biden called it hateful in a recent tweet. Wow.
0: Wow. Virginia, thank you so much for taking the time and just giving us the full story on this.
1: Of course, thank you.
0: Well, as we said yesterday, there were plenty of great moments that seem to have gotten lost in the shuffle, or the scuffle, from the Oscars this past weekend, including a victory for the great Questlove. On Sunday, the DJ and Roots frontman, Amir Thompson, aka Questlove, took home the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature for his film, Summer of Soul, which chronicles the Harlem Cultural Festival of 1969. Many of you probably recognize Questlove from his time on The Tonight Show with Jim Fallon, And during last night's show, Fallon showed some love to Questlove in the monologue.
2: Of course, I have to address the big moment that everyone's talking about. And that is Questlove winning the Oscar for Best <laughs> Document!
0: Questlove flew back from the Oscars to make it back in time to New York to sit down with Jimmy for an interview. He talked about how he agreed to DJ the Beyonce and Jay-Z gold party as a way to take his mind off the pressure of thinking about winning at the Oscars, (laughs) which, I mean, what? (laughs) I can't even comprehend that sentence. But he also talked about what it was like winning with his mom there next to him, and he and Jimmy got emotional, and I think it's something to make you smile.
2: When you're in the crowd and they announce your name that you won, Mm -hmm. and everyone gives you a standing ovation when you're next to your mother. What is going through your head, and how did you? I I mean, you got emotional, but I would have been. I was crying in my living room. We were the only two people in the room. We went through so much. Them sacrificing to put me in music school, and you know, it's like either our bills or my future. My mom loves crying at anything. Dude, I lost it. Like I, my my first grade recital, she cried. Like she always cries at anything. Like, mom, I got I got a C minus. Oh my baby! Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just
0: love that they are truly friends, and it's just the best moment between them. Well, thank you all for listening today. We'll be back tomorrow with more of People Every Day.